Welcome, everyone, to the Parent Advocate Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Chikumba. My pronouns are he, him, and his, and I'm joined by my awesome co-host, Lisette Trujillo. Hey, everyone. This is Lisette, she, her, Aya. Each week, we bring you our take on all things happening in the world from the perspective of two parents of BIPOC transgender kids. So this is episode five, and we're cranking right along, and I hope you're having as much fun as I am. I'm having the best time, and I'm super excited about today's show because last week we interviewed one of my good friends, and today we get to interview one of your friends and neighbors. That's right. Lisette, today's guest is an amazing person that I actually met when I moved to Trenton, who just so happens to be working with Garden State Equality, Janine LaRue. So welcome to the show once again, everyone. Let's get started. I was going to say happy Friday Eve, but it's now Sunday Eve. So happy Sunday Eve. Lisette, what's going on with you, girl? Well, since the last time I talked to you, I'm still doing the same thing. I'm prepping for P-Tech next week. So I'm working this weekend um, and just juggling mom life and advocacy and all the things. How did the game go today? So we won again, 6-4. And because we have the mercy rule, it was like five to, to one. And so we had to take one off. And then it was five to two. And I was like, let me just keep them off because this other team is just really struggling. The coach wasn't there. The ref's asking me, where's the other coach for the other team? I was was like, I don't know. Let me get my phone. Let me call the commissioner. Let me see. And by the time I got to my phone and got back to the, to the field, the coach for the other team was there, but it was, you know, it was a sign of what was to come because they, they took a shellacking. We really gave them the business. And so we're undefeated so far this season. I've told my, my my team we're going for a perfect record this season. It may not happen. It probably won't happen. You know, it's it's catcher's catch can when these kids get on the field, but they're having a good time. And so I'm enjoying it. And, you know, remember, I wasn't supposed to be coaching at all. And here I am talking about having an undefeated season. I'm so full of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining you yelling at all the kids. Get it that together. They're like, that's waiting. what I'm doing. <laughs> that's what I'm doing. I'm like, it's I it's the it. worst. But after the game, one of the parents came up to me because their child was at the wrong field. And she was like, I'm so sorry. The child was like, and I was just like, it's all fine. She's like, he's really enjoying himself. This is his first time playing soccer. And you're just one of the best coaches, blah, blah, blah. I was like, stop, stop. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but it was nice. So soccer was great. Um, the last time we spoke, I told you that I was at BTEC, which is the Black Transgender Advocacy Conference um, in Dallas, Texas. And I really have to say it was one of the most amazing conferences I've ever attended. And I say that specifically because I've never been at a place where you just felt so welcome. Mm. You just felt yeah. like this sense of love and community and safety and selflessness I attended two sessions that really stood out for me. One was the Black Trans Parents of Trans Kids, which essentially was four trans fathers and a trans mother who were raising trans kids. And they were talking about what the experience was like raising a child, having the experience of either being supported when they were growing up and invariably, which was most often the case, not being supported when they were growing up and knowing what they wanted to make sure their children experienced being raised um, as, as trans kids. And it was just really poignant. Some of the stories that folks shared and one parent in the audience was actually talking about if anyone could 
well, he directed this question to the panelists, but he was asking if any of the parents had experienced resentment from their child after they transitioned. And this one parent was talking in particular about how his daughter felt like she didn't have a mom any, anymore. And just the outpouring of support from the rest mm -hmm. of the audience was just amazing because everyone brought to their response their own reality and their own experience with their children and that sense of loss that some of them experienced because, you know, they thought they had one parent and, and, and actually that other parent was there the whole time and they didn't necessarily see them. So it was just one of those things where you don't really understand what another community goes to unless you sit with them and you share those stories and you commune with them. And it was just, I can't even describe the feeling. And you said something. Yeah. And you're saying something really poignant, right? Like, I think you hear this, this narrative in parent communities too, which is simply based on someone else's perception and expectation of you, right? Is that like, oh, you aren't who I thought you were. And like, and it must be soul crushing for a trans person to be like, you finally see me. I finally had enough courage to tell you who I am. And now you're telling me that upsets you. And, um, and, and, and not just upsets you, but like, I, I'm not different, right? Like my exterior is different, but who I am at my core is not different. And I always was. And now you finally see me. And I just think about that all the time about the ways in which we enable each other's bigotry through those conversations of saying like, it's lost when it isn't lost, Absolutely. right? It's our own, our own bigotry. And so I mean, I just want to hug that father and be like, I'm sorry. I hate so that. So you, you would have had to get in line. the sadness and the lost narrative. You would have it's, had to have gotten in line because he was embraced by that entire room. It was like standing room only and so many other parents were speaking to what you just said. You have been their dad this entire time. You transitioned yeah. late in life. And so you didn't have the words, the vocabulary the help, the, 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 you know, gender affirming care, you didn't have those things that allowed you to achieve your true self, to achieve congruence as you saw yourself. And now that you have, you shouldn't be made to feel guilty for achieving congruence. You should have the same love and affection you have for your daughter should be had for you. Because even though she may have seen a person who was assigned female at birth, you've always been her dad. And so, and again, mm -hmm. this is this is a sentiment that a lot of the people in the room were expressing. And so again, as, as a fly on the wall, I was really just overwhelmed with just how much love and support was, was in the room. And the second session was the one that I was uh, a member of the panel, which was Black parents of trans kids. Wasn't standing room only. There was a, a few more empty seats in our session, but mm -hmm. the, the love that was shared and expressed towards us, the information that we shared, uh, we have to go back. Like we've been invited back to uh, BTAC 2024. I'm gonna be there, bringing my kid there. Like all of the panelists who were there with me, that was Keisha, that was Ngozi, that was Sonia, uh, Tori Cooper was our panelist. I mean, was our moderator. And yeah. she's like, yeah, we're gonna be on the main stage next year. I mean, community's healing. I say this time and time again. I'm so glad you had a chance to be there. I loved all the pics. 
Oh, yes, thank you. I try I try to document as much as possible, but I go on and on and on about BTEC. But we've got a full agenda today, so let's get to today's topics. All let's right, I'm do get it. Started. The Met Gala was last week. Was no oh, Met Gala was this week, Tuesday. And while there were some amazing and not so amazing outfits this year um, around the whole Karl Lagerfeld theme, and we're not going to talk about how you know just problematic Karl Lagerfeld was, but the most amazing part for me was the speech that Dwayne Wade gave on the red carpet. I mean, I just have to say that my kid was like Gen Z online being like, Carl Lagerfeld is trash. But again, <laughs> we digress. Uh, yeah, Dwayne Wade talked about, he used that time to really use his platform to talk about suicide rates around trans youth and how those rates drastically improve when you have acceptance. Yeah, it's crazy because he's been kind of on this like media tear. In addition to uh, the Met Gala, he did an interview where he talked about for the first time on record, I believe, why he moved out of Florida. Um, and one of those reasons was that Florida simply wasn't safe for his daughter. Yeah. A study ca carried out by Just Like Us, the LGBTQ Young People's Charity, surveyed 3,600 adults aged 18 to 25 and found that 88% of trans people had experienced suicidal thoughts, which is far higher than any other group. We really need to talk about how it's not because of a person's sexual orientation or gender identity um, that they are feeling suicidal or turned to self-harm, but really it's about us as society. And we have to look at ourselves critically and think about how we are creating uh, systems and a world in which people feel unseen and feel like they do not fit and shouldn't fit in this world, right? Um, I think reframing these stats and blame and putting the blame where it belongs, not on, you know, LGBTQIA people, but the communities that surround them and are supposed to love and serve them um, and really talk and have more conversations about, you know, why inclusive policies are needed at the city, state, you know, federal level, and also talk about the realities of what Dwayne Wade said, right? He's like, I had to leave Florida. And, and it's because we are still part and we are still functioning under a system that utilizes states' rights versus federal rights to enslave people. And those functions are still in place and they're harming marginalized people in the ways in which they're supposed to. And I also want to remind people that the onslaught of anti-LGBTQIA bills that we've seen over the last five years can only happen because um, equality was a patchwork across this country. A lot of people have like a false belief that LGBTQIA people had protections across all 50 states. And that's just simply not true. So as people, as trans youth, as people were gaining access um, to medical care and or access to public accommodations, policy leaders saw that as an opportunity to pass laws to restrict that, right? And so I think Dwayne Wade touched the surface of like a very long conversation. We need to do like two hours with him on Oprah, where we just delve into it. So it, it, it's it's so crazy, the fact that we're at a point in time when within the borders of the United States of America, you have its citizens who are unsafe in certain states, migrating out of those states to 
seek refuge in supposedly, and I'm going to call them sanctuary states because that's what they are, but in sanctuary states, in places where it is demonstrably safer to be if you are a member of the LGBTQIA community than others. Canada is proposing a bill which would make Canada a refuge for United States citizens. Can you imagine? And the fact that we have these mass migrations, which harken back to emancipation, after yeah. Black people were given their freedom, they were like, we don't have to stay in the South, but we got to get the hell on out of here because it's not safe. Even though I'm free, somebody can pick yeah. me up and put me back yeah. in slavery. Even though I'm free, someone can decide that they don't like the cut of my jib and string me up from a tree. Just because I'm free doesn't mean that I have mm -hmm. agency over my own body. It's just insane that we are talking about yeah. 2023 and looking at activities that haven't been part of the, the legitimate fabric of our country for over 200 years. It's just, it, I just can't wrap my head around it. I think that was what was so devastating for Jose and I, because we're in Arizona. So, you know, you already know my husband uh, came from Mexico. My family came, you know, my parents came at three and five. So they've migrated already once. And this idea of having to leave your home and start all over again is devastating. And I think, I think, you know, well-meaning people having this conversation of like, well, just get up and move are not really looking at looking critically at the way our government is functioning and why it functions the way that it does, right? We have an opportunity to have deeper conversations to create real progress where we're no longer using, you know, the functions of, of a country that wanted to enslave people and harm people across the board. I mean, we're in the Southwest and there were laws that segregated people here too, that often don't get taught. Um, and it's just, it's a devastating time. I think it's a sobering time. And Dwayne Wade, I think using his platform to draw attention to those is, is really, really important. And now I just wish we could have the deeper conversations, right? And not just, you know, the, the news flashpoint of like Dwayne Wade leaves Florida because it's not safe, but let's talk about functions of government. And, and more importantly, Dwayne Wade is a man of means. His yeah. family is a family of means. This is a former NBA all-star champion who doesn't really want for anything. So if he decided Florida was too safe, he could pick up and he could move. How many people can just pick up and move? How many people have yeah. the wherewithal, the fiscal ability, who have the resources, not only just financial resources, but familiar resources, the ability to choose doctors, to find community housing, jobs, schooling, all the other things that are attendant to moving out of the place you've been domiciled or you've been living for however long to try to set up roots someplace else. It's not that easy as just picking up and moving. And so yeah. there is a, there's a class issue that's also implicated when we're having conversations about Dwayne Wade leaving that everyone else doesn't have. Everyone doesn't have the yeah. ability to do that. And so it's not like the you know, hundreds of thousands of families across the United States in any of these 19 states that are actively, aggressively marginalizing transgender people and making lives just impossible for them to live. They just can't 
up and move. And then again, where can they move? You know, where within proximity to them can they move if they have the means? It's not like you can just go everywhere. And so, yeah, I do think this is a deeper conversation that we certainly need to elevate. Um, I am happy that that Dwayne Wade used his platform to talk about something that, for the most part, people aren't paying attention to. And I hope that there are more celebrities like him who recognize the the point in time that we are at in this country and step into the breach, as I like to say, uh, and, and protect trans people. But child, we are going so far down this rabbit hole okay. and we have a guest <laughs> in the wings. Well, I'm so excited for our guest today. So Janine okay. LaRue is the recently elected board chair for the Garden State Equality Fund. She served as a member of the board for two years prior before being elected to serve as the chair. Janine joined the board in 2021 is a senior vice president at the Kaufman Zeta Group. Her barrier-breaking career spans four decades and includes work in education, unions, government affairs, and politics. Founder of the well-known blog, The Rulist Report, Janine has spent almost 40 years serving the public on policy, governmental, and political issues in the public and private sectors. Everyone, please welcome Janine LaRue to our show. Good afternoon. Hello, hello, hello. I'm really honored to be here today with the two of you. Thank you very much. Well, welcome to the show, Janine. It is really so nice for you to join us today. Stephen tells me that you are neighbors. What's it like living around <laughs> Stephen and sharing community with him? Well, you know, I've, I've actually told a few funny stories about Stephen because <laughs> uh, his fiance is really like a daughter to me. I've known her. Uh, since she was in her 20s. And so it's been a couple of decades plus. And so I really got to know Stephen personally when during the uh, pandemic, we used to walk. Uh, he and his fiance um, would walk every morning. And I'm an old fart. I, Lord willing, I'll be 73 next month. So I used to walk with the older group. And because I've been a lobbyist for years, and she's been a public figure for years. Every once in a while, I try to sneak in a question about a policy issue. And Stephen would always say, no work during our walk, no work during our walk. <laughs> so I, I started preempting his commentary in the mornings. I would walk up to them and I'd say, good morning, no work, no work. <laughs> so I have really just, I have grown so, so fond of Stephen, so fond of him. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I totally forgot that I used to know when I when she says that I would be like, no work. We walk in no work. We walk in literally every single time. And she would have a whole every posse every day. We walk by them. I'm like, OK, Nicole, just keep walking. Don't you stop. Did you? <laughs> and we would all yell out, no walk, no work, no work, walking. <laughs> oh, gosh. I would hate that. I'd be like, I want to talk about this policy, Stephen. Leave me alone. <laughs> yes, yes. Especially since she's in a great agency. <laughs> I know. Well, you've had a considerable history in education, politics, business. How did you come to Garden State Equality? And what do you hope to accomplish working within the organization? Um, I identify as she, her. Um, I um, have had two very successful marriages because they have ended. So that's why they are so successful. And always thought many years 
um, that I was more attracted to um, women than actually men, but never knew what to do with the feelings. And so I'm not um, proud to admit it, but I think that it's very relevant uh, to the conversation today. Uh, you know, I have a son who is a public figure, and when he was young, um, I'm, I'm a pianist, and I played for a lot of churches and always considered myself as being very progressive. And so my son also wanted to learn how to play the piano. But in the Black churches that I grew up in, which were many, uh, most of the men who played the piano or were the choir directors were gay. And so I said to my son, you cannot learn to play the piano. I will not have it. And he's like, well, mom, why not? And I'm like, because I want to make sure that you understand who you are and I want you to be straight. Now, when I think back to that world today, as I said, I'll be 73 next month. I'm just so embarrassed that I would even throw that out in the universe. So you fast forward many uh, decades forward, and my son and I still really laugh about it. He prayed to God, seriously. He prayed to God that his hands would be anointed to play for a choir because his homophobic mom would not allow him to get piano lessons. And if you hear him today, I remember the day, just like it was yesterday, when he said to me, we had a balcony in our home. He's like, mommy, I want you to come down. I want you to hear something. And he got on that piano and began to play the song. I'll never forget it. And I said, who taught you to play? And he said, God anointed my hands. Now, today, we actually joust each other about it when you say, I say, you know, you are su such a great choir director. He says, yeah, but I still can't read one note. And I'm like, you know what? I'll carry it to my grave. I am so sorry. But he laughs about it. He's like, mom, this is not the guilt you God anointed me. But the truth of the matter is he plays beautifully for lots of choirs now, but he can't read one note because I would not allow him to take piano lessons. So when I shared with him uh, about 15 years ago, I said, son, I have something I need to tell you. We went to dinner in a restaurant and we're sitting there and he's like, yes. And I said, well, you know, you, you know, Maria and Maria and I lived together for many years. We just didn't talk about our relationship outside. It was like, it was what it was. And so finally I couldn't get the words out. And he, he looked at me and he said, mom, you're trying to tell me you're a lesbian. And I said, yeah. He said, and I still can't read one note. <laughs> I said, oh, <laughs> And he came up to me, kissed me in the mouth. He says, I love you so much. Oh, I said, oh, That's beautiful. Oh, my goodness. And so when you say, how did I come to this? I actually, you know, Garden State Equality celebrated, is celebrating next year 20 years. And I am the lead lobbyist they hired to lobby marriage equality in the state of New Jersey. What's so ironic about it, Stephen and Lisa, I lobbied the bill as a straight woman while living with my partner in our home because I didn't know how it would be received in my industry. 
How sad is that? And 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 the 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 excitement I felt that day when they let me sit on the floor of the Senate and to watch that bill, the number go up on the board, and how all of us just celebrated and cried. And but I was crying for two reasons. One, because we had won, even though we knew crazy Chris Christie was going to veto the bill, and he did. But two, because I was in the closet. And I couldn't celebrate the way the rest of my community was celebrating. So that's so as we move forward in my career and uh, the insider in Jay uh, said to me, they called me and they said, well, we got the good news for you. We're putting together the power outlets, the, the most powerful people in the state of New Jersey who are gay. And I said, oh, that is great. And said, yeah, you're number one. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I can't be on this list. I can no. They're like, well, it's too late because your firm has taken out a full page ad and your name is in it. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can't be on the list. So, the, the, so I called the CEO of the firm. She said, well, if you're not going to stay on the list, we're not going to do a full page. We'll just do a half page. I'm like, oh, man. And this is the political, political site. So now if we go from a page to a half page, that's going to hurt us. So that way I had to go to my entire family and say to them, I've been living in a closet for almost two decades and I need to come clean. I'm going to become an advocate for the LGBTQIA community. And I have been a part of this community for almost two decades. Wow. And I will tell you, when I walked into the legislature, when that list came out, because it's the political list, I walked into the legislature that morning. It was the most liberating feeling I had had in years because I was authentic. I, I knew that, you know, I, I, I was now part of all of the minority groups. I'm not, Stephen knows me, I'm not five feet tall, I'm short. I'm, I'm not just black, I'm dark. I'm not just the short black person, I'm a female. And now I'm queer. And it's like, you know, it doesn't get any more, you know, all of the protective categories than that. And that I could just walk in and say, here I am, and this is me. So, and, and, and to close on that part of it, um, I'm glad that I did it when I did. My partner of 22 years um, found out during the pandemic, she had fourth stage pancreatic cancer. And because of the isolation, I couldn't be with her in those final moments. So I watched her take her last breath on, um, on, on a, an iPad. And I'll never forget that feeling but I do know for at least four and a half years, people knew that I had a partner for two decades. They knew that I was gay, that I was happier than I'd ever been in a relationship. And I could actually have a Zoom memorial, over 200 people showed up, where I could talk about the uniqueness of Maria and Janine um, right on up to her dying moment. So, you know, there we go. And probably a little bit more information than you wanted. No, that's, no, that was beautiful. 
I'm so sorry for your loss. I feel so emotional. I, these are the, these are the stories that I tell Daniel. Like, um, I don't know if you all listen to the oral history podcast, uh, making gay history. I mean, these are the untold stories that allow our children to live freely today, even though it's politically terrifying, right? Like when you think about it uh, in our day-to-day lives, my child is reflected through mentors and elders who have full lives in front of him. He's able to Mm -hmm. see himself. Um, And it's just, thank you for sharing that. Like I, and, and I wanted to share this small story with you, but like, I always wanted a daughter and I was only, I had a, uh, I had, I was able to get pregnant with my son, Daniel easily. But after that, I I was never able to have more children. And, um, and so, you know, I remember being like, I'm, we're going to be like little twins and like all these ideas that you have about who your gender child is supposed to be. And I was like, had all these stories about like Manny Petties. And my son now is like, you know, I'll go get a pedicure whenever you ask. Like, right. I love this, you know? And so hearing you talk about your son playing the piano is just, I mean, I think as moms, yeah. as mothers, we want to be perfect. And, and we're just people, right? I we're tell my kids- people. And look, he's 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 heterosexual. He's married yeah. to a woman. He has two kids. Here, I'm the one. I'm the one who's it's gay. that internalized piece. But like exactly. we, and that's the thing that we, you know. I tell my son. I tell and I tell my husband. I'm so great. I grew up in this country, uh, you know, as a woman of color, as 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 first generation, because I understood internalized stigma and internalized racism, right? And so I could I could have conversations with my son about what that looks like and not mm-hmm. be like, well, you're trans, so you shouldn't have these feelings. No, we are impacted by the societies we live in. Thank you. So Janine, I, I have another question for you because you are so passionate. And when I looked you know, I always do my research and my homework on the people that we're interviewing. And so when I looked you up, I was just like, damn, there's just so much, <laughs> so much behind what you've done. You've had such a storied history, but two things really stood out to me about you. It was that you have a passion for education and for public service. How do you see that passion translating into the work that you're doing now with Garden State Equality or even just the work that you're doing now in, in your life? Thank you for that, Stephen. I think that most of the bigotry and the disparities in healthcare and education and redlining where we live, all of that, I think a lot of it comes from just, we say being ignorant, but I'm talking about ignorant in the literal sense, that when people become informed, and I'm going to tell you a quick thing about you, uh, that you will find fascinating when you talk to Nicole, you're just going to start laughing and say, can you believe her? But we, 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 we set up these stereotypes about life, which is why these folks who are far, far, far to the right, who are just destroying the emotions and mentalities of our young people who are living a lifestyle that they were born into, many of them born into, some by choice, you know, some by, by, you know, orientation, but we formulate these things in our heads. So 
I've always been told, and I, I know part of it's true because I've talked to a lot of Africans about LGBTQIA lifestyles. And I know, you know, I, you know, I had the LaRue Cafe. I brought on uh, an amazing Black couple from Nigeria. And this one woman, she's like the head of the world health, whatever. You know, she's the MD and her wife is a Mongol uh, real estate person. They live in Texas and they got married in, in, in New York, but they had to flee for their lives. And they talked to me on a regular about um, African um, folks as it relates to this um, lifestyle or um, orientation. So when I got the text from Nicole about your interest about transgender issues, I had already put in my head, well, I'll never let Stephen know that I live um, an LGBTQIA lifestyle because I know right away that he's going to say to Nicole, stay away from her. You know, I don't know what she's about because I have such respect for you and your family. And, you know, my, my grandson, Malcolm, was very close to your brother. And he would always tell me about the, you know, from the funerals to the weddings to the whatever he would go to and just all this African traditions and all. And I'm like, oh man, I'm like, Malcolm, you never told him your grandmom's gay, right? He said, no, I never told, uh, uh, they could call your son, Dr. C. So when I got that text from Nicole, I looked in the mirror and I said, Janine, there you go again. You stereotype Stephen without ever having a conversation with him about anything except walking and don't talk about work or congratulations on your, your kids uh, getting into college or I'm really happy you're engaged. You know, but when it comes to the real stuff about life, I never even, then she's like, well, no, he's a part of this group called that. I said, but why? She's like, Janine, because we have a transgender child. I'm like, what? I was like thrilled. So, yes, that's how I marry education and public policy. Folks have got to get out of the way of themselves. They got to start talking about crap. They've got to start learning more. And when they learn more, they've got to say something. That's what we got to do. So that's how I married the two. And it's been a wonderful career. It, it just, it, it's just, I mean, I've had very close friends of mine. I mean, very close friends of mine. When that list came out, they were texting me photos of their kids who were transgender girls and boys. I had two young men who had come here and stayed in my home with my grandson from the time they were in third grade right on up. They're like, Miss Mimi, I'm gay. I couldn't tell anybody. One kid went out. He came out because of my list and said, when his mom was like really getting ready to go after him, he said, well, call mom LaRue because she's gay too. Well, how do you know that? But she's on this list, you know? So yeah, it feels good to educate people. I love that. Proximity changes hearts always. Always. Um, always. I want to be your neighbor now. I'm going to move. <laughs> <laughs> you are. That's why we're on the square together. <laughs> uh, we're seeing a lot of anti-trans legislation across the country. 
Um, I'm sure that there's bills being sponsored by Republicans trying to replicate those efforts in New Jersey. What is GSE doing to ensure LGBTQ rights in New Jersey specifically as it relates to transgender non-binary youth in the state stay intact and, and ensure that they're protected? So in New Jersey, um, we have crazy people here, but they're not as crazy yet as other places in the country. Uh, and so either, we have two boards with the Garden State Equality. One is the operational board and the other is the fund that handles the politics and that type thing. I am the chair of the political arm of it. And what we're doing to ensure it is to make sure that nobody who has these crazy ideas about our community, that they don't get elected to office. Because if they're not sitting in our legislatures, they can't do as much damage as they think they can do. We now have got to have a much deeper focus on local school boards, because that's where the craziness is coming from now. We lost six valuable Democratic players in the legislature two years ago. And why? Because they took that whole issue of too woke, um, of the critical race theory, the censorship of books, all of that came out of the local school board community. And now a lot of our school board elections are held on the same day as the general elections. So the wackos, the, the right wackos took over the message during the general election and, 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 and spilled over their craziness and made it sound like the Democratic candidates who were incumbents were supporting some of the things that they didn't want. It was not true, but we lost six legislators. We have a threat in blue New Jersey of losing one of both houses uh, in this year's election because they're on a roll. They're, they're now trying to get to 2024 so they can get somebody really crazy in the White House. So uh, that is what we do. And by the way, uh, the, the beginning of last month, our governor actually signed an executive order that talked about our being um, a safe a sanctuary state for people who are seeking um, trans health care so that for the mental and emotional and the informational stuff that all of these hospitals and, and uh, physicians and all in New Jersey, they're going to be breaking um, the law at least through an executive order if they want to act out. Wow. Um, We're going to have to bring you back on to talk about this. Sorry, Stephen. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. We're going to have to bring you back on another time because you're right. It is going to be at the granular at school boards, uh, the smallest uh, elected seats that are really going to start shaping. But I think, you know, what I often tell people is that the reason why the reasons why they've been trying to you know, defund schools is that it really, really goes back to the desegregation of public school of public schools, right? And 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 that push to defund schools has to do with the fact that again, proximity changes hearts. Public schools shape our communities. And so I often tell people if you want to gain equality truly live in a world where equality and equitability exists, 
fund your public school systems and redlining. Because if children grow up with diverse people, bias is, is removed, right? Because they're in proximity to people who aren't like them. And the far right understands this. And this is why they've been pushing, like in our state, voucher systems, de the defunding of public schools. In 2018, for us, they were trying to disrupt school boards, but it was around inclusive sex ed. And CRT really didn't become this larger conversation until 2020, when they had already done more message testing. And I think people don't realize that there's a lot of money being used mm -hmm. to understand how to disrupt smaller government systems so that they can achieve their end goal. Um, and it's terrifying. If we can bring you back, I would love to have conversations about sure. that too. And, 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 and I know Stephen wants to jump in here, but let me just uh, add a little bit to, to what you just said. We cannot forget that the mind control, I mean, think about this, you know, you're going to be killed if you demonstrate that you know how to read. And the person, if it's a black person who taught you to read, they're in big trouble. So if that was the foundation of keeping people in check, white folks who are progressive and Latinos and Asians and Blacks and Native American, everybody better get real that this is a thing. So I just wanted to throw that in. So Janine, one of the things that you raised was this whole conversation about preventing the, the, the wackos from entering our state legislatures and being able to propose legislation. But what does the future look like for, for trans people in the state from a legislation perspective? Because the executive order of uh, Governor Murphy is an executive order. It doesn't have the same force uh, of law. And you know people challenge the efficacy um, and, and um, the ability to enforce executive orders all the time. Is there an effort to enshrine trans affirmative laws in New Jersey, much like uh, Chris Christie did with the bathroom bill? There, there definitely um, will be an effort uh, to hurt our community, whether it's trans, bi, gay, any of those areas. And unfortunately, when you're in a situation like this year, 120 seats are up for re-election, for election. There are several, almost 30 legislators who have been in the legislation, legislature for years have already announced they're not running for re-election. So we're gonna have a new crop of people, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, we're gonna have new people who have not been tried and proven on these issues. Let's say we get, still keep the majority of Democrats in both houses, both the assembly and the Senate are up. We're still going to have to work with these new folks to make sure that they are on the same page of us because now the, the, the whole thing in the Democrat party becomes don't be too woke. If you're too woke, you might, you might not get elected. Well, we want people woke. And it's going to be Garden State Equality's job to continue to educate folks who put their right hand up in the air and swear 
that they will uphold the Constitution and protect the rights of all folks living in this state. That's powerful. Thank you. What advice do you have for ordinary people sitting on the sidelines, watching what's happening and wondering what they can and should do? I think the first advice that I give to folks when I tell my story is listen to my story. You know, listen to the pain of not letting your son lessons, you know, not realizing we're all people, irrespective of who we love or how we love. We're all people. So people sitting on the sidelines, they've got to understand, look to your left and your right, folks standing next to you, you don't know who the heck they are or what they're doing. Not until you find out something about them and then we begin to start making judgments. So the first thing we got to do is stop judging folks. Stop judging folks. That's number one, because we're all in this together. That's number one. Number two, each of us has something that somebody can come after us for. I mean, even the wealthy folks are beginning to feel a big sting because they're under the microscope overlap. So understand, they come to for me today, they might come for you tomorrow. So it is important for us who live in a place like the United States of America, in this place where we talk about the great democracy, that we all get in engaged for change and to protect the very wonderful rights that we already have. The other thing is finally, be civically engaged. I laughed um, years ago when I was uh, first got into politics as an elected official. And I, I, my first office, I was uh, elected to the school board. And the second, it was to the uh, municipal council. And one of the guys, Gia, was witness. And I didn't know his Gia was witness. You know, I just knew that when we did our voter ID, he never came up as a person who voted for me or against me. So I was trying to ID him. And he would call me at least twice a month. This dog keeps barking next to me and blah, blah, blah. So finally, someone said to me, did you know that he's Jehovah's Witness? I said, well, I don't have a problem with people's religion yet, but he doesn't believe in voting. So I went over to his house, knocked on the door, sat down with him. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm trying to work on this issue with our uh, animal control to handle your neighbor where the dog just stays, you know, is it, a, really a nuisance and all. And I understand that you that you didn't vote for me. Well, I didn't vote for the person against you either. I don't vote. I said, then what makes you think that you have so much to say on what happens in, 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 in government? I said, if government is really that bad, that you really don't want to get near it, I think this is fascinating. And he just sat there looking at me. Well, let me talk to my wife. I'm, I may decide to vote at some point. And he did register to vote as a deal with witness. Because my whole thing is, if you're going, look, you got to be in it to win it. If you really want to enjoy the full force of civic engagement, get engaged civically. That's where I am. Oh, my God. Those words are amazing because sitting on the sidelines and complaining, yeah, you, you don't have the ability to do that. If you want to no. see change you have to be the change that you want to see. And so getting engaged yep. is amazing advice. Janine, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you know, I owe you, you know, um, we're going to have to break <laughs> bread so you can disabuse yourself of any of the ignorance you have about me. <laughs> I'm waiting. I love it. 
I would say you to the lobby club. Come on, let's go to the lobby club, okay, club um, and have lunch and dinner one day. I would love it. Say when I'm there. You got it, Janine. I adore you. I adore you. So, Janine, if you can stick around, we are moving into the next segment of our show, and you can learn about this week's allies and assholes. Okay, I know a few of them myself, so I can't wait. Great segue, Stephen, because now it's time for one of our reoccurring segments, Allies and Assholes, where we highlight individuals or groups that are supporting the LGBTQIA community on one hand and call out straight up assholes who are trying to move us all backwards on the other. Stephen, who are we talking about today? Our ally of the week is Brittany Griner. Brittany Griner, on her return to basketball, said that she believes that trans women should be included in women's sports. What a huge statement. I'm proud to be um, an Arizonan and because Brittany Griner plays for the Phoenix Mercury. So yay. Um, And of course, people began complaining that Brittany Griner was supporting trans women in sports. Um, It's just ended up becoming a pile on, but I'm excited that Brittany Griner has used her platform to speak up for sports inclusion. And it's so crazy because like Riley Gaines said she was disappointed that Brittany Griner chose to stand up and support trans women. Guess what, Riley? That's what allyship looks like. But you wouldn't know anything about that, would you? Nope. And that's why Brittany is our ally of the week. Yeah. Our asshole of the week has to go to Montana State Representative Carrie Seekins Crow. Carrie Seekins Crow is a woman who said on the House floor, Uh, when they were considering the ban of trans care for youth in the state, that she would rather have her daughter commit suicide than transition. I'm just going to say that again for everyone who did not hear me. A state representative, a mother, said that she would rather her daughter commit suicide than transition. I mean, this is when we say that someone isn't a mother, right? Biology doesn't make you a mother. Love does. And so I'm just like, I cannot believe that you would use your child's trauma on previous suicidality as a means to justify withholding essential care for other people's children. It's cruel. It's awful. Yeah, just because you're willing to allow your child to take their life because you don't want to listen to them and get them the care that they need we as parents should do the same thing? I don't think so. I don't think so. It's, it's, she's a monster. I already said this, but she really is a monster. And that's why she's also our asshole of the week. She's going to get a big boot right here in this section. Big boots for her. Right now. Um, Well, that's our show for today, folks. We want to thank our guest, Janine LaRue, for spending time with us today. I also, of course, have to give props to the star of the show and my co-host, Lisette Trujillo. Um, Steven, I only glimmer because you are a star. So I couldn't do this without you. And I just want to say thanks again to everyone for tuning in to the Parent Advocate Podcast. And as usual, be sure to like, subscribe, follow, and do all the things to stay up to date with everything we're doing here on the Parent Advocate Podcast. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. If you are thinking about harming yourself, get immediate support. Please reach out to The Trevor Project and connect to a crisis counselor 24-7, 365 days a year from anywhere in the United States. It is 100% confidential and 100% free. You can get help at thetrevorproject.org. 
If you'd like to support any of the organizations working actively to support LGBTQ people, please visit the ACLU at action.aclu.org or the Human Rights Campaign at hrc.org. You've been listening to the Parent Advocate Podcast. Tune in again for another episode.